If someone was bit by a seven-foot spider and then told you they had a fear of spiders, would you question why? Probably not. So why is it when someone's been sexually assaulted and then forms a phobia where they are scared of sexual intimacy or sexual intercourse that people wonder why and think it's weird and can't put their head around it? I'm here today talking to a professional about this topic and she's going to give us her opinions and her views on it. Genophobia is a phobia that many suffer with, but in silence. It is a fear against sex or sexual intimacy and can cause extreme panic or fear when these sort of actions are attempted. Even thinking about it for most people can cause these issues. So, shall we start by introducing yourself and letting everyone know what it is that you do? I'm Barbara. Um, I've been working as a counsellor in various uh, organisations and charities as well as being self-employed over the years and um, spent quite a bit of time in um, like women's centres and rape and sexual abuse um, support centres and charities. So it's something I have come across, not just for women, to be fair, but for men as well. And it's very, um, let's just say, people don't talk about it and there's not a lot of support out there. So it is something, of, you know, it's very interesting to me as well. So have you worked with anyone who suffered with genophobia in particular before then? Yes, um, I have done. It's actually... I have, in my in my experience, it's been more. It's got many causes, including sort of physical causes and stuff. But in my my experience, has been more around sexual assault, rape, and things like yeah. that. Um, but it hasn't been just women. Uh, I have counselled and worked with men who have suffered just as much. Um, and I think consistently, the one thing that stands out is is they're just not prepared to talk about it an awful lot. It's very very difficult. That's kind of the issue that I had with it. I kept it to myself for so long that when I eventually tried counselling, I didn't want to talk about it and I was kind of stuck in my way, so it kind of created a barrier that became very difficult. Um, so what would you say is the best way to combat that for someone who does come to you, who does struggle to talk about it and doesn't really want to, but obviously is there for a reason because they need the counselling? I think for me, I mean, obviously, because I'm a counsellor, I believe that does work. I think it's really about the most important thing is finding, if you can, kind of put yourself out there and take that risk, because it is a big risk for you emotionally, you feel very vulnerable, but it's about finding the right person to talk to and the right, even just the right modality of working with it. There's lots of different ways of counselling. It's not all about, sort of, you know, we've got CBT which is where it's very directive and you're going to do like homework about your faulty thoughts. You've got your person-centred, which is much more about you taking the journey in your own pace. Uh, and then you've got even things like, which is becoming much more of a thing now about dealing with trauma, which is your EDMR, which is more about them interrupting. I don't know if you've heard about that, but they, no. they sort of use a technique, which I'm no big, big expert on, but generally I know what it is. They use a technique where they are almost using your rapid eye movements to find unlock memories it's some sort of connective thing a psychological technique they use but that can often work with their PTSD in general and trauma simply because you don't actually have to talk about it they can just unlock it sort of by doing this technique so that potentially could be something for somebody it sounds a bit like hypnosis it is a little bit but it works in a slightly different way but I suppose the problem is, you know, for me as a counsellor, the problem is with things like that, yes, it might unlock them, but where do you then put them? Yeah. So it's <laughs> it feels like you should put these memories somewhere. And I think 
It is really, really difficult. That is the total issue, isn't it? It's about somebody feeling safe enough or trusting somebody enough to kind of put that bit of information with them. Yeah, trust is a yeah. main thing. It's a major thing. It's the thing, isn't oh, it? Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose my, you know, my advice in an ideal world, if somebody could feel that they could be vulnerable enough, but find somebody they could really trust, and it doesn't have to be a professional. It could be, you know, a trusted friend or family member. But again, I know there's issues around that. But for me, it is about. It's not just about telling it. It's about getting underneath the story. You know what's yeah. caused this feeling, isn't it? And and that's the difficulty all along. That's it? what they don't want to say. <laughs> that's really where they don't want to go. Yeah. So it's really caught up in itself, isn't it? It's like catch twenty yeah. two. I mean, it's just such a taboo subject. Full stop. And I think even particularly in England, I'd say it's even worse than anywhere else because we're yeah. so not very good at talking about sex are we we're not very good at talking about anything so i think it's very sexualized as well everything is about sex so if you don't yeah. like it or you've got a horrible experience from it it's kind of like oh, i can't i can't say that i don't like it or i yeah. can't say that yeah can't say that it's because... completely taboo isn't it you yeah. have to feel incredibly incredibly safe with somebody to say this is how i'm feeling it's almost like in some ways if you can get past it's the actual talking about the sex if you can get past that and around that and talk about what's actually happened, then that bit might actually become easier. But because it's all kind of tied up in one, it just it, yeah. it almost you know gags people, doesn't it? It's it's really really difficult, and it's that impact. You know, it's not just the impact of the the idea like I don't like sex. It doesn't end there. It's then the impact on you. Is yeah. it that makes you feel about yourself? What would you say is the biggest impact genophobia has on a person? For me, from my experience, is I think the biggest impact is the turning in on yourself. I think it's, um, yeah, of course, there's the obvious fear of, of intimacy, fear of actually making relationships because at some point you might feel you're going to have to face this head on. So what I think it really does is turn people like into themselves and make them hide almost. Yeah. And it's that isolation and that terror of being judged if they were to share that or you know and, and then again you know once you've once you've turned it on yourself and become isolated it becomes bigger and then you're looking at self-esteem issues you know there's the anxiety about performance itself and then there's the isolation depression anxiety all those anger all those feelings then follow because yeah, it you, just makes it yeah, even bigger problem it's yeah. a melting pot <laughs> so it becomes a kind of personal issue about you as well as being an issue about that yeah. And then if you've got, you know, obviously a lot of the time there's trauma behind it as well. And you're dealing with that, flashbacks and fear yeah. and all that. So we've touched on how there isn't much awareness on genophobia already. Do you have any suggestions on how we could improve the awareness? I think things like this are really good. I think, you know, as long as people don't talk about these things, then they stay in the dark. There's no two ways about it. So things like, you know, if, if it can be written more awareness raised of it around things like radio or you know published in newspapers or whatever or on tv that'd be brilliant yeah. that'd be the best way ever so it's it's taking kind of the the shame and the and the blame out of it it's looking at it it's shining a light on it um but i suppose other than that the only other way would be maybe i don't know online if, if people feel that the victims feel that they can talk to others by blogging or setting up forums or you know and maybe yeah. charities and organisations like the ones I've worked for, if they can get on board and involved, and it's just it is just about getting it out there and making a voice. It is. I mean, 
I did a fashion show back in May with Big Hondo Fashion for Rasa Merseyside, which is a charity that helps all victims of sexual assault from young people to adults, both men and women. And the lady who was representing Rasa was having a conversation with me at the event. She was telling me how it's still such a taboo subject and the fact that she was out for a meal with her mother and her mum's friends and her mum's friends asked her what her job was and before she had a chance to say anything, her mum chirped up saying she was a support worker. And then she tried to correct her saying, well, I actually deal with sexual assault and I do counselling for people who have suffered of sexual assault. And her mum butted in again saying, oh no, it's still a support worker, it's still support work. So... Even her own mother struggles. It's just so difficult, isn't it? Every sort of frightened of it. It's always yeah. like, oh, I can't say that. It's a bit. But you know, if you don't, if you don't get it out the closet, it's, it's always going to stay there, isn't it? Basically, yeah. you got You've got to shout loud about it and proud and just say we aren't. I think things have come up. I mean, just look at how everything around mental health is changing now, because we're now starting to talk about it. Yeah. We're starting to put it on telly. So it shows, doesn't it, that it yeah. works. If, if you stop talking about something, yeah, it stays underground. But if you keep talking about it, if you keep raising awareness, if you keep saying, we're not shaming these people, they're victims, they're not, why, you know, why are they the ones sitting there feeling like that? Yeah. So get it out there. And it is, it's just, it's great to hear things are happening, but you just wish it would happen more. It happened more and bigger. <laughs> bigger, bigger and louder. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, yeah, I think it's important to also say, like you've said as well, that men are victims of genophobia mm. and sexual assault. Absolutely. Not talked about as much, which again, I think should be. Yeah. I think people should be more aware that men are just as much a victim of it, of it as women are. Definitely. I think they find it really, really difficult. Even, well, no, so do women, no, but really difficult for a man to talk about that. Yeah. And I think they are even more inclined to never mention it and keep it to themselves and I know that the men I've worked with to be honest if I've been really honest the only reason they've ever come into counselling is because they've finally confided in a partner who's basically pushed them into it to begin with yeah and then they've all it's you know without fail it's been probably that they've been so relieved that they've done it but it's been incredibly incredibly hard possibly wouldn't have taken that like step on their own they're well, so they're scared they're a man they've got to be their big and strong so we don't talk about our feelings yeah. in fact we don't have any do we with men <laughs> But I think they, it's really wrong, but I'm glad that more people, men are coming forward and hopefully it will... It's the same thing yeah. again, isn't it? Hopefully if, if we kind of like make it be known, you know, more will do it. Yeah. But it's the same problem, isn't it? I would just like to touch on asexuality very quickly. And through research I've noticed that many people or many sufferers of genophobia and sexual assault have put themselves in the asexuality bracket thinking they just didn't have a fancy for sexual relationships until they came across genophobia. Have you had any experience in that meeting? Anyone who thought they were asexual when in fact it was genophobia, they just didn't know about it? My experience is almost without exception that when somebody feels they're off sex and they don't want to have sex, there's fear behind it. So it's very rare that there's no cause or, or they are truly asexual, I think. Asexuality, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I think it's a very rare thing yeah. without a cause. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because another thing that I've come across is kind of um, sort of sexual, um, like being uncertain of your sexuality. I couldn't think of the word then. So, in other words, they might veer from being, what, you know, am I heterosexual? Am I gay? Yeah. Am I 
bi, am I neither, non, I don't know what I am. The whole sexuality is thrown into question because of what's gone on. So it's, it is a very ambiguous thing and it is something often people need to work through. Yeah. To kind of, I mean, you know, to just to find out actually what they're thinking and what's informing those thoughts and then get back to like actually what they really do feel, if that makes yeah. sense. Is there anything you'd like to say to anyone listening who is a sufferer of genophobia or has been sexually assaulted that is scared to come and ask for help but really wants it? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because that's yeah. kind of where they're at. But I would say in terms of counselling, and I think for me, for me, the most important thing, and I think whatever the counselling, but particularly this, is you've got to find... Well, first of all, you've got to be ready. You know, there's no timeline on this. But, you know, it's when you're ready and when you feel like you're feeling brave enough to talk. But I would definitely say the most important thing is to feel safe. The person you're going to sit across the room from is going to be sitting there sharing, you know, some of the scariest stuff you've got to share. And you've got to have that kind of gel with them. So try out a few. You know, don't feel it's a bad thing to do. You know, you wouldn't dream of having somebody build a house for you without trying out a few quotes. (laughs) So definitely with a counsellor, that's even more and more, you know, totally the most important thing. Go and find out the person who's for you, your person who you can sit with. You need to feel safe and you need to feel that you're not judged because they're the two big things that are stopping you from talking in the first place. So, yeah, try a few out and just be a bit cheeky about it. But it's so important because that person who you're going to talk to, you can guarantee you won't be the first person who's ever told them that. And so, you know, in that case, feel a little bit more safe that they've talked to somebody like you before and know what it's like. I think that's pretty much it for the interview, so thank you. Um, is there anything else you want to share or listening? No, I mean, other than, you know, I, I'm, I'm just really glad to hear this is, is, is being aired, as it yeah. were. And, yeah, and then thank you for coming and talking to me. It's been really, really interesting. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Good luck with it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>